Today's the 25th day of August, 2023. Welcome once again. It's the Chapter 49 podcast. We welcome you all. Very, very happy that you have chosen to join us in, in your busy schedule. And I'm sure all of you are very busy people. If you uh, have any interest in working for the federal government, there's always something to do. And we all appreciate the fact that you've taken a little bit of your time, be it uh, you know your personal time, to watch this podcast or listen to us. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer, and I volunteer in the area of communications with NTU Chapter 49, uh, Chapter 49 represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. A couple of reminders. Number one, we have a Facebook page. We would encourage you to like or follow it. We uh, try to keep it updated regularly. If you want to find it, go to Facebook and just uh, use this phrase, NTEU Chapter 49 Indiana, that phrase. Search for it, follow us, like us. Uh, we'll try to keep you updated as best we can on your newsfeed. And if you just happen to have stumbled across this podcast, video or audio version, you can get an update every time we have a new one. All you have to do is send an email to nteu49 at aol.com, and uh, Duncan Giles, our chapter president, will uh, send you uh, an email every time we have a new podcast. Speaking of Duncan Giles, he is our chapter president, and he joins us once again. Uh, once again, welcome, Duncan. Thank you, Larry. It's always good to be here. Well, and in central Indiana, we are experiencing a heat wave. It's kind of unusual. We, we've had a fairly, I would say overall, there have been some spikes, but overall, uh, we've had pretty moderate temperatures this summer. Uh, but uh, we've had a heat wave right here at the, at the end of August, although things are going to moderate just a few days, excuse me, <clears throat> just a few days after we record this. And we had several days of pretty hot weather. So uh, what I found interesting is I talked to somebody uh, yesterday, about the day before we record this, and uh, and you, you may identify with this. Everything I'm hearing from people, for instance, who work in the Minton Capehart building in downtown Indianapolis, a federal building, say that it may be very warm outside, but it's freezing cold in the federal building. How does that happen? Uh, it just depends on where you are in the federal building. In my office in the federal building, it's very comfortable. Other places, it's a little bit warm. Other places, it is quite cold. It's just, you know, when you have a building this old, with HVAC that old as well, and where the runs go and things of that nature, it's just tough to figure out a good thing. The, the best thing I tell people, though, is, you know, you can always put more on. There's only a certain amount you can take off. <laughs> yeah, and still be able to show up for work. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, that is uh, that is very true. But and and the the interesting thing is, I you and I both know this because this happened while I was still a manager in that building. Is that the HVAC system in that building has been renovated just recently? And you know, because the building design is so old, it just is very difficult to, to get that right. That's that's it exactly. I mean, again, like you said, it's a newer system. But you've got the you know the same vents where they are and things of that nature, and it was built uh, you know way back when when this building was built in the '70s for a lot of closed offices. Now it's more open space, and it's just tougher to uh, you know make sure that it's the right temperature, hot or cold, in a lot of these spaces. You know, you go to Washington D.C. and look around at some of the federal buildings there. You can pick out the ones that were built in the '70s. 
the same basic design as the Minton Capehart building. Uh, and I don't know that uh, they've, they're probably worse for the wear as well. So anyway, just try to make sure you take care of yourself. And if you have hot weather, wherever you may be watching or listening, and uh, fall is on the way. We're, we're in late August, early September's coming. And and uh, so the temperatures will be moderating in the not-too-distant future. Let's get down to business. And, and the first thing we want to talk about this this podcast is something we haven't talked about for a while. We have talked about it before. It's something called a PAR action, capital P-A-R. A PAR action, I'm going to ask you just once again to explain to people watching and listening what a PAR action is and why NTEU continues to bring this issue up with the IRS management. Yeah, this is one of those things when you're having a within-grade uh, or a career ladder promotion uh, in your series that the manager has to do certain actions on the computer to make sure that this is done timely with personnel. And it's not a huge thing, but, and I, to be honest with you, I don't blame a lot of the managers because they've got so much stuff that comes down from on high that's, uh, in my mind, BS that they have to do, that they're not able to take care of stuff like this uh, in a timely manner, which affects people's paychecks. And that's what we want to make sure uh, you know, this has been something that's been a pretty constant issue. IRS keeps telling us they're working on it and they're talking to their managers, but we keep seeing a lot of instances across the country where this keeps occurring and we're just trying to eliminate it as much as possible. Well, the one, and by the way, you, you probably heard the applause across the country from managers watching or listening about their workload, <laughs> <laughs> because I can tell you, especially when a taxpayer assistance center manager, which is what I was, the workload was almost unbearable. And I'm sure a lot of other managers in the service have that uh, issue. And I won't get into why, that's another issue. But I, one thing that always irked me, and I worked really hard to get my par actions done on time, I did slip a couple of times and hated that when it happened. But I never thought that the system that's used for this is is a good system. It doesn't give you a good early warning. It doesn't give you as a manager enough reminders that you need to get this done. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things. It's a legacy system. It's antiquated. And it was done where we had a much smaller span of control than we do now. So it, it's something that can slip past a manager. And, you know, and I will say this about managers, especially frontline managers. There is so much BS reports that come down from on high that have to be answered. Um, do they help the organization? Yeah, probably about this much. But, you know, when you're talking a power action that's impacting somebody's paycheck, that helps this much. So, you know, we need to make sure that we do the important stuff. And I'm sorry if if somebody's program, you know, doesn't get a quick response that they want within, you know, six hours or the, the world is going to end, you know, if that has to wait so we can make sure that we get things like per actions done, so be it. Well, didn't you realize, Duncan, some of these reports, you know, the world did end a few times because they were done on time. I'll tell you something that really always irked me, and I have to say something since you brought this up, putting on my former manager hat for a moment. Um, I would put it this way. I think that people like in the headquarters and maybe some of the other big-time offices, area offices and all that, they always say, we need this information. We need to have this to move on. Who best knows this information? 
Ah, the frontline manager. So what happens is everybody comes to that conclusion and everybody starts coming to the managers wanting a response by this date on all this information. So and as a manager, sometimes it's very easy to respond, but a lot of times you take, take some time. you got to get some data or talk to your employees. It, it, there's some work involved and time involved in that. And that, of course, takes the manager away from the things that managers are supposed to do. Keep an eye on their employees, develop them, work with them. You don't get as much time for that. So I've given my speech on that one. And uh, I think it kind of dovetails exactly what you're saying. The manager who wants to do this job the right way always finds these this mountain of minutia that you must always take care of. And you wonder, is it just how necessary is it? And is shouldn't there not be somebody in the system saying, okay, do you really need this or not? You know, IRS has never had that. So, um, But anyway, this, this all affects par actions, and it, it can take money away from people or delay extra money people would be getting, and and it can cause financial hardships. So this is no small issue. Are you there, Duncan? No, it's really not. And when you you talk about things, you know, I'm sorry, we're getting a little bit off topic, but I think it's necessary for people to understand this. When you sit there and say, okay, what do all the managers, you know, have to give reports on? For those of you that have ever seen the movie Armageddon with Bruce Willis about the meteor coming, and when they're when Bruce Willis is looking at the rover and he starts tossing out parts and going, what is this? I don't even know what this is. Why do we need this? Throwing that out, throwing that out. We could do that with so many reports that we have. You know, it's, it's necessary to drill down. Got that. But, you know, the way that we drill down has just become ridiculous, and it's just unneeded. Uh, so many times that it takes away from the managers to be able to do the job, to be able to mentor their people, to be able to counsel their people, to be able to help the ones that are falling behind, and to be able to do the things that are really necessary, like the PAR actions. So that's that's my spiel on that one. So the bottom line here is if you are due, let's say, a promotion or within grade and you're not getting your pay on time, and you've talked to your manager, and it just doesn't seem to be working, talk to your local union official. That's, I think, our our message. And, uh, and TEU at the national level has recently had a meeting with the top management and has once again made the case, you know, please manage, let's, let's uh, figure out a way to get this done on time. Let's move on. And something else we have not talked about recently it's a, it's, and you, you and I have talked about this because there's a new pilot program for remote work. And first of all, what I'd like you to do is just kind of remind all of us what this pilot encompasses and how the NTEU was working to figure out who will be able to take advantage of this or be eligible for this pilot and who will not. Yeah, this is one of those things right now you're seeing across the country in both private and public sector where there's this, you know, push to get back to work. Well, we've been working for a long time with the IRS nationally on a remote work pilot. And that's where people don't even have to come in if they're doing telework. They have to come in at least twice a pay period. Well, we're trying to even eliminate that. And so we want to make sure that, um, you know, the right employees are being 
available to work this pilot. And it's almost become like a floating target with the IRS. And there's a lot of ambiguity in who exactly is eligible. And we're just trying to nail this down for this remote work pilot, what positions and where are eligible. It's not going to be the vast majority of positions because, to be honest with you, this is a uh, very scary proposition for the service. So they're going to have a very limited and smaller in scope pilot on this uh, to see how it works and can it work. Um, but we need to know exactly what positions are impacted so we know how to be able to uh, bargain over impact and implementation and make sure that these folks that are in this pilot are protected and are getting the uh, the best rights and the correct rights that they should have. So once we have these positions, you know, nailed down, have a list or whatever, uh, do we know how management and the union are going to work together to figure out who is going to be eligible and how people will be chosen to participate in this pilot program? Well, that's part of the fun. When it's a pilot, uh, management has an awful lot of rights on who they choose uh, versus a regular agreement. So while they're piloting this, you know, management can figure out who they want to have it, what positions, things of that nature. Uh, but we just want to make sure that we have the information to make sure it's being done correctly and fairly. Um, you know, if you've got somebody in a uh, position in Washington, D.C., and somebody in the same position in Denver, Colorado, and that person in Denver is not allowed to do the remote work pilot, why not? If they're doing the same position, they've got the same PD, that sort of thing. So we want to make sure that those kinds of things are taken care of. Yeah, people forget this. Many, many years ago, this goes back way before I think you even worked for IRS, Duncan. Uh, the very first pilot program for working at home with a computer was in Seattle, Washington, and it was ACS, the Automated Collection System. People who worked that, they worked in their homes totally. And it was funded, strangely enough, through some kind of federal grant on air pollution, so people didn't have to commute, and so they were able to fund it through some, it wasn't even a uh, Treasury or IRS program, it was some EPA program. But uh, So this is not a new concept, working at home all the time. And of course, it was done during the pandemic all the time, and I think that may be one reason that uh, the service realizes they have to, to pilot this. But there are some really interesting issues around this. Other agencies that are smaller than IRS have worked around that, the biggest one being... Where's your locality pay? If, you're, uh, if your manager is in Indianapolis and you're working in, I don't know, Seymour, Indiana or Argus, Indiana or something like that, uh, where, where uh, do you get Indianapolis locality pay or do you get rest of the U.S. locality pay? So those are the, some of the things that have to be worked out in all this when, we, when these programs are put together, correct? That's, that's exactly it. Yeah, it's... it's um there are several different things on that uh, type of program. Uh, NTU has been raising all of them. Uh, we've got a very good team working on that. Um, and, uh, you know, our national negotiations staff is working on it. Uh, you know, good friend of the show, Lori McCann, chapter president up in Chicago, is on this team. Uh, so it's, it's being taken care of and the issues are being worked. It's just we want to make sure... Who, it's, who is going to be benefiting from this, and to make sure that it's equitable. 
So we'll keep an eye on this one, but uh, it is a, an important program, and NTU's getting as much involvement as we we legally can, and, and the IRS has been working with us to the extent that they are required to do so. Let's move on to another issue. You know, I'm beginning to think, Duncan, I've been retired for, gosh, how many years now? 11, 12 years now I've been uh, retired. And I'm beginning to think people complained about how long it took to process your retirement paperwork back then. I'm thinking I was lucky. Things have gotten much worse. Uh, right now, uh, I think we're, we're saying an 85-day average. It could take more than that or maybe less in some cases. But an 85-day average to process your retirement through the Office of Personnel Management. We call it OPM. Now, OPM, of course, has for many years, I think as far back as anybody can remember that they've had this program, they do it the old-fashioned way, pencil and paper, just uh, doing the paper processing, pen and paper, whatever you might want to call it. There's no automated system to get this done, which is one reason it takes so long. So the good news is that there's a pilot program going on with OPM uh, to implement a new digital system. That's good news. It needs to be done. The bad news is, of course, if you're caught into that pilot program and there are glitches, it could take even longer. But again, that's one of those short-term pain, long-term gain things, I suppose, because this does need to be done. So what have we been hearing, as far as NTU is concerned, uh, about this backlog of, of being able to process retirement claims? Yeah, it just, I mean, it's it's really tough on a lot of people and that's why we tell people to plan to make sure that you've got, uh, you know, a nice pot of money set aside because it's going to take a while first to get your annuity check. And then it's going to take quite a while, usually, to get your proper annuity check um, because they'll send you an interim one. And then they, you know, after several months when they've gotten everything figured correctly, they'll send you the proper amount and they'll have more or less depending upon what they've been sending you. So it's tough. And like you said, um, they're piloting in a uh, an automated system. And, you know, the OP, the current OPM director, uh, very sharp person, and they're trying. Uh, they know that it needs to be automated, but they don't have the staff. They don't have the budget. Um, if you'll recall, under the previous administration, they were trying to basically dissolve OPM, um, which just boggles my mind. Uh, and... You know, to do this because this is a huge thing. OPM is the one that basically controls how everything should be working in all these different agencies, and especially important to process things like retirement. And you know, you have to go through your own agency's retirement before you can system before you can even get to OPM and have those eighty-five days. So it's it's a very tough system. Um, you know, for somebody like me personally, I'm really hoping that this uh, this pilot works out and they get it, uh, you know, rolled out in short order in the next couple of years for it to be totally automated. That would work out great, I would think. Yeah, and there was a very interesting story I did post at our Facebook page, if you want to go back and look at it. Uh, uh, stories of not just people who are working for the federal government and retiring, but survivors. And even yep. the survivors, that's you serve, you're, you're Married to and someone who was uh, retired from the federal government, when that person passes away, you're generally in, in going to be uh, entitled to a survivor benefit. 
So processing those takes even longer. My mom is a great example. You know, she lived to be 92, you know, and just died several months ago. But she drew a survivor's benefit from my dad, who died at age 64. So what, not quite 30 years, she drew a survivor annuity, which allowed her to live independently. I mean, it's a very important thing. So when a survivor annuity takes longer, hits complications, or doesn't get done on time, you know, that surviving spouse can, can really have some, some financial hardships. So there are some, some, some real-life human stories involved here. There certainly are, and that's a great example of your parents because it, it is these, you know, when when you are going to be retiring, uh, you know, you need to, you know, make those decisions. And, you know, for like myself, I'm going to make sure that, uh, you know, my wife Kim has the biggest, you know, survivor benefit that she can, the 50%, in case something happens to me. And, and you know, knowing that, if I go first and I'm retired and this happens, it's not going to be a short process for her. It is going to take some time. So it's just, and, and you know, and that's something too that's that's painful on people. You know, you have the loss of a spouse or partner or whoever it is, and now, you know, on top of that, you've got the aggravation of trying to figure this all out and get this taken care of timely. And it's just, it's just tough, not just fiscally, but emotionally as well. No, I, I agree with all that. And, uh, you know, my mom fortunately had me handling it, so we were able to to, to get uh, Shepherd things through as best we could at that time. But not everybody has. They're retired, or I was retired at the time, doesn't have a federal employee who knows something about the system, so I was able to yeah. to make sure that and, and it's very easy to make a mistake, uh, especially if you're not familiar with the process, which can delay things even more. So uh, all, right. all things to be considered there. So, you know, OPM at least is making an effort to digitize. We have to give them credit, but you're going to have to be patient with them. If you're in that pilot program, there could be glitches, and, you know, just do the best you can to work with them if it happens to impact you or your family. Well, here we go again, Duncan. It's not our number one story, but we do have to talk about it again. Uh, we're... Uh, the, Getting close, a little more than a month away from the end of the fiscal year. Fiscal year begins October 1. So the 2024 fiscal year begins October 1, 2023, for people who are keeping score. Now, this issue is is right back where it was before. We've talked about this before, that the leaders in Congress, you know, the Speaker of the House and uh, the, uh, the leader in the Senate, are of different political parties, but they have been talking about avoiding a government shutdown, going to a, a continuing resolution to at least give the Congress time to work out the budget because the House and Senate budget are going to be different. They're going to have to work out the differences, and, and that's going to take some time. Uh, there are people in the House, particularly there's a group in the House, that is basically saying, no, 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 we want gi- gigantic, and I'm talking about huge cuts, just to get a continuing resolution passed, to get their support for that. Now, there are, there are ways to get a continuing resolution passed without that group, but it's going to take some political maneuvering to do that. The uh, Speaker of the House is, is, you know, he was elected as Speaker of the House by, uh, well, how many ballots were there, 12? I think maybe more than that. And so he, he's there with a small 
number of votes making him speaker. So he can't really afford to make too many of his people in his own party angered with him. So there's a lot of moving parts in this whole issue. But the bottom line is we need as federal employees to, and I'm not an employee, I'm a retiree, but you know, it doesn't normally affect me, but it could, who knows if things got bad enough. But the bottom line is if you're working as a federal employee, uh, you need to start stashing money aside because it is possible you may not get paid for a while. I mean, remember, during the Trump administration, there was about almost a 30-day government shutdown, and a lot of people had serious financial hardships. We talked to some of them on this podcast about, about, I think uh, we did some some, uh, stories that we published on our Facebook page. You know, we we wanted to let others know what kind of financial pain there there could be. So, Duncan, uh, talk more about how people should prepare for the sad possibility a government shutdown could come at the end of September. Yeah, this is almost like a roller coaster. First off, it's Groundhog Day, and then it's roller coaster. Because it's like, oh, there's going to be a shutdown. Nope, they're going to come to an agreement. We'll do a continuing resolution. Nope, sizable minority says, oh, we want to shut down. Um, I, I right now of the feeling that there is going to be a shutdown, I have no idea how long it's going to be. And yes, people will get paid once the shutdown is over. But in the meantime, uh, it can be tough. And, and having gone through that and tried to do what we could to help folks who were impacted by that 35 day shutdown during the Trump administration, I'm telling you, it's not fun. Uh, so we want to make sure that people are ready for this. I don't want it to be a surprise to anyone that this comes up and all of a sudden your paychecks are not going to be coming. So, you know, please start setting money aside. I know it's tough. I know there are a lot of you out there working paycheck to paycheck. Totally get that. But please understand that if you don't set something aside, you're going to be in pretty dire straits if this is a shutdown of any length. And we have no idea if there is one, how long it will be. It could be over a weekend. It could be a week. It could be longer. We, we just have no idea uh, on this. And so we want to make sure that, you know, forewarned is forearmed. We want to make sure that you're prepared as much as possible for the possibility of something like this happening. Yeah, and it should be stated that it may not happen. We, I mean, we just don't right. know, but there are a lot of independent observers of government who have done this for a long time and have credibility who say it, it's a likelihood, and that's the sad part. But we're, you know, we're going to continue at NTU to, to push very hard with our lobbying effort and all the people we, all the friends we have on the Hill to, to prevent this. With that, uh, Duncan Giles, your final comment for this podcast. Yeah, it, it, this is just one of those where, you know, I've had a, uh, you know, an interesting couple of weeks, um, you know, being in it, being in Detroit with uh, with friends, um, you know, and a you know wedding ceremony, the things of that nature, and I just I just want to make sure take the time to do things that you enjoy with the people that you enjoy. Um, you know, life is too short to spend it being miserable. We all know people who revel in just being unhappy and, you know, they can never do anything. Uh, you know, try and find those things that bring you joy. 
with the people that bring you joy. Or if it's, you know, being in solitude and reading a book or, you know, playing on a computer or your phone, you know, make time for that. Do what gives you your peace and your happiness. Uh, try and do that some every day. You know, my happiness is being with, uh, you know, as much as possible, being with my spouse, Kim, being, you know, when I can, being with my daughter, Maddie, and son-in-law, Travis. You know, those are the things that make me happy. You know, aside from the satisfaction I get from helping folks that work here locally in Indiana and nationally. But do things that you enjoy. Do things that make you happy because life's too short to be miserable. Well, speaking of people who are unhappy, there's a group of people unhappy right now. They are the people who you who are uh, the owners of companies that produce tax software. And the reason they're unhappy is that in that Inflation Reduction Act, a lot of people didn't see this. It was tucked into that big, gigantic law. IRS was tasked under law to put together a program where taxpayers can directly, uh, electronically file their tax returns with IRS. The way it is now, if you wish to do that, you have to go through a third party, such as H&R Block, Intuit. Those are two of the bigger companies. There are many smaller ones. A lot of um, uh, uh, accounting firms do it themselves, maybe charge a little extra to, to make a profit off of it. Uh, from people who, who have their returns filed electronically, embed that into the fee that, that's paid to, to file the return. Well, now, uh, if you have an accountant do the return, you can now just file the return electronically yourself. You don't have to pay an, uh, somebody else to do it. And if you go to TurboTax or whatever, you can, you don't have to do that. Now, it won't have all the bells and whistles some of these H&R Block and TurboTax and other products would have, to, 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 you know, how should I put it, to, to uh, f make things easier for you, you know, ask you a lot of questions, go through a question and answer session with you to make sure you, you cover all, all the uh, deductions that you're allowed. But uh, IRS assistant would mean you can directly file with IRS. And as I understand it, because this is in the law, all these companies I've, I've mentioned before and uh, these organizations that represent these companies and their lobbyists are doing a full court press right now in Washington, D.C. to try to get this changed. Now, I'm, I have not studied this law, so I'm not an expert on this. I've been away from this for a while. But as I understand it, it is a statute provision, which means it would take a law change to, to make this any different. IRS is moving ahead because they are required to move ahead. It's not an administrative decision. It's not even a, a decision by the president. It's a decision that is within the statute that was passed. So it's going to be very interesting. It, it may have some effect uh, tangentially for IRS employees as far as how uh, tax law is administered and returns are, are processed. But Duncan, it's isn't it interesting to see this all play? This has been going on for years. This really started when the electronic filing system began. I think it was the nineteen eighties, and it became clear to, to IRS if they didn't partner with H and R Block, they weren't going to have any program at all. So they had to partner with them, or they were never going to get the electronic filing system, which is a, an easier system to process returns. And of course, IRS is trying to go totally digital, even with the paper returns being scanned and that sort of thing. So just curious if you have any thoughts on this. I think it's a wonderful thing and long overdue. And, 
yeah, it's going to come up against a lot, as you said, a lot of resistance from these folks who are going to be losing uh, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars uh, for this. But it's the best for the American taxpayer. And that's why it was put in the law. And you just heard Duncan Giles, Chapter 49 President, and this is the Chapter 49 Podcast. Uh, We are here as weekly as we can make it. We missed some weeks. Duncan had to go to the convention. He mentioned that in Detroit. And uh, we certainly want to give our best wishes to our two new national officials that have been elected during Greenwald, our national president, and Anand Muni, who is now our a national executive vice president uh, from the CBP's uh, agency as the first IRS, non-IRS person to have that job for a while. So right now, please, thank you for watching and listening. Be safe and be kind. Be safe and be kind.